Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. It's the 3rd of February, 2020. This is going to be part two of a discussion I'm having on the current coronavirus um, disease spread that's been occurring mostly in China, but there have been cases worldwide. So I'm going to get right into this. As you know, what we do in Authentic Biochemistry is we deal directly with published papers, published reports. We don't deal with popular press or with magazines, newspapers, or with pundits. This is directly coming from the scientific community. So with that in mind, we're going to be looking at a paper that was published on the 29th of January, just uh, four days ago, uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine. And the title of the paper is Early Transmission Dynamics in Wuhan, China, a Novel Coronavirus-Infected Pneumonia. You know that that's what it's called, NCIP, if you watch my or listen to my first uh, podcast on this just a few days ago when I introduced the coronavirus via the Authentic Biochemistry Studio perspective. All right, so NCIP, novel coronavirus infected pneumonia. The initial cases of this novel disease occurred in Wuhan, Hubei province, China, somewhere around December 2019 and ongoing into January 2020. The publication we're looking at now is current up to about the 22nd of January, which is about a week ago, a little bit over a week ago, maybe 10 days ago now. Uh, But it's one of the early uh, papers that really describes what's going on in country where the disease is most rampant. And what it attempts to (laughs) to do is estimate certain epidemiological time-delayed distributions So we get a better idea of what kind, if there is indeed an epidemic, because we're going to be able to look at this early period of exponential growth uh, of disease spread and possible or potential epidemic doubling time. And of course, that also means looking at something called the basic reproductive number. Uh, That is the number of disease spread reproducing from a, uh, a specific indexed host. As we're going to see, <coughs> the, the paper reports that the first 425 patients with confirmed NCIP had a median of about 60% or 59.5% male. The majority of the cases, about 55%, were linked, actually. This is not from the initial phases from Wuhan province, from Hubei province in Wuhan, excuse me. The majority of cases were linked in one incident in the Hunan seafood wholesale market. A mean incubation period was determined to be about 5.2 days for the virus. That's using a 95% confidence interval. Within the 95th percentile, the distribution of about 12.5 days. In its early stages, the epidemic therefore doubled about every, you can do the calculation, 7.4 days. So, <clears throat> the initial detection in December of this virus was in Wuhan, which is a rather large city, certainly by U.S. standards uh, or any standards, 11 million people. On December 29th, the very end of the year, almost the end of the year, the first four cases linked to this Hunan seafood wholesale market. Now, it started out being a pneumonia of unknown etiology. And what that simply means when you first get started with the epidemiology and the etiology of disease is just an illness without a causative pathogen and otherwise identified 
that fulfills these following criteria, okay, if you to call it a pneumonia. A fever greater than about 38 degrees Celsius, radiographic evidence of a pneumonia itself, histologically and physiologically, pathophysiologically, <coughs> low or normal white cell counts and low lymphocytic counts, and no symptomatic improvement after an antimicrobial treatment. So antibiotics don't work. And that that's after antibiotics have been uh, implemented from three to five days after detection of the disease. Now, a confirmed case was defined as a case with respiratory specimens that tested positive for the 2019 uh, coronavirus by at least one of the following methods, okay? Isolation of the coronavirus or at least two positive results by real-time reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction. Again, we're using reverse transcription because it's an RNA virus Go back to my first uh, session in authentic biochemistry where I talk about the molecular arrangement of this virus. Uh, the third is a genetic sequence that matches the virus. So you've got either PCR, you've got a, a, a direct detection of the virus, or you pick up sequences of the, de uh, of the virus, say, in the serum. Now, I have two targets. Um, that is specifically what these targets are for the reverse transcriptase assay an open reading frame 1A or 1B for the nucleocapsid protein. Remember, that's one of the genes, the N gene. If it tests positive by the specific real-time RT-PCR, the case would be considered to be lab confirmed. So if you get either 1A or 1B of the nucleocapsid protein and you're able to amplify that with a short enough CT, and I'm going to tell you what CT value means right away here, but then you're going to be diagnosed with the coronavirus, the particular one known as a novel coronavirus-infected pneumonia, NCIP. It's first being described in Wuhan uh, in central China. Now, what do I mean by CT? A cycle threshold value is a CT value. Now, if it's less than 37, that's defined in this particular study as a, as a positive test. If it's a value more than 40 or more, it's defined as a negative test. It's a very small window, less than 37, positive, more than 40, not positive, negative. <clears throat> a medium load, which is defined exactly as a CT value of 37 to less than 40, does require confirmation by retesting. And if the repeated CT value is always less than 40, and there's an obvious peak observed for amplification of the, of the 1A or 1B nucleocapsid uh, RNA, uh, then they're going to go ahead and call that a uh, positive. So it's going to be a positive uh, detection determination of the NCIP. The genome itself was identified in samples of bronchial uh, um, lavage fluid from the patient by one of these three methods, either by Sanger sequencing, direct sequencing, Illumina sequencing, or nanopore sequencing. And the respiratory samples were inoculated in cells for viral isolation, ultimately in a biosafety uh, lab that's going to be at uh, level three, okay? So a real-time PCR assay, what that means, is a positive reaction detected by accumulation of a fluorescent signal. That's what that means. The CT, with a cycle threshold, is defined as the number of cycles required for that fluorescent signal to cross the threshold. That is, it exceeds background level. So that's how this numerical calculation works. So uh, in real-time PCR, positive reactions detected. This is I'm just giving you another details of how they determine this. By accumulation of that fluorescent signal, 
The CT threshold is defined as the number of cycles required for the fluorescent signal to cross the threshold that exceeds the background. CT levels are inversely proportional to the amount of target nucleic acid in the sample. That means the lower the CT level, the greater the amount of the target nucleic acid in the sample. In this case, it's going to be the RNA. So real-time assays normally go undergo about 40 cycles of amplification. And if you have anything less than 29 for, for CTs, that's a very strong signal. Uh, that means it's indicative of an abundant target nucleic acid. If you're between 30 and 37, where we are for this NCIP assay, it means it's positive. It's indicative of a moderate amount of target nucleic acid. If it's between 38 and 40, it's weak. Anything over that, it's not considered as public uh, environmental contamination. It's not considered a positive signal. Now, this paper talks about what statistics are used. They use a statistical inference model as a standard model to derive the epidemic growth rate, the epidemic doubly time, and the basic reproductive number, or the R sub naught, which, of course, I've defined before, but I'll define it again, as the expected number of additional cases that one case will generate on average over the course of the infectious period in an otherwise uninfected population. That's what the reproductive number means. They use that information prior to the distribution of serial interval based on the serial interval of SARS. Remember, that was the uh, previous coronavirus outbreak with a mean of 8.4 uh, and so analysis of the incubation period, serial interval, growth rate, and r naught were all performed by using a MATLAB software, which is standard. And the other analysis performed by the use of SAS software and R software from statistical computing. So this was all done with standard statistical technique. Uh, the onset of the illness, where they first examined it, they looked at the first 425 confirmed cases of novel coronavirus, infected pneumonia, NCIP, in Wuhan, China. They found a decline in incidence after January 8th. It's likely due to delays in diagnosis and lab confirmation. Okay, so if you look at what's going on as you start from um, late December into January, you find that there's a very low number of cases all through, Dece all through December, either linked to the Hunan market, where there's a lot of those at the beginning, so statistically there's much more from the Hunan market than from anywhere else or not linked to it. And then after about the 30th of December and going into the first week, actually all the way into the second, almost third week in January, I'm looking at the data directly, you're seeing less and less of the disease being detected coming not uh, coming from the Hunan market, meaning most of it is coming from other transfer, which makes sense because you have the target index um, occurrence come the Hunan market way back in December. So you're going to have a lot more of those statistically coming directly from that Hunan market. And over time, that Hunan market associated disease basically goes to zero. And that's where we are right now. All right, here's some characteristics of the patients that they were looking at. And this is a Chinese study, remember. Median age before January 1st, about 56 years old. Between January 1st and the 11th, about 60, so no real change. And towards the end of the month of January, 61 years old. So it's all around 60 years old for the median age of the patients who have coming up with NCIP, okay? So male sex uh, is about 
66% before January 1st, 59% second, third week. And by the end of January, it's about 48, 49%. So it looks like initially it was more male than female, but now we're at about uh, parity with 50% female, 50% male. Um, okay, exposure history, the number per total in a percent level, 64% came from wet market, market exposure at the begin before January 1st, 16% between January 1st and January 11th, and only 6%, and this is indicative of that data I was just telling you, uh, between January 12th and January 22nd when this data was uh, completed. So from the Hunan seafood wholesale market, a, a full 55% came directly, and all of that was before January 1st. And by January 12th or January 22nd, it was down to 6%. So that's reflective of exactly the same thing. Now, as time went on, there were other but much less significant wet market uh, locus of origin of the disease. The rest of it comes from contact with another person. Uh, before January 1st, it was 30%. Between January 1st and January 13th, or January 11th, excuse me, it was 15%. And after that, it settled at about 25%, coming from respiratory, from persons with respiratory symptoms. All right. So health care workers, of course, at the very beginning, none of the cases came from health care worker transmission. Between January 1st and the 11th, about 3% came. And, not, and then the last week in January, it was only up at about 7%. So healthcare workers are not transmitting disease to any significance. Incubation time, uh, it looks like the estimated incubation time, which is the time from infection to illness, you're looking at somewhere between zero to seven days, uh, days from infection to symptom onset. Uh, and that that is seen throughout all of the different uh, studies that have been uh, conducted so far, either onset before January 1st or after January 1st. The data is pretty tight. So that means that the illness, again, set about 7.4 days. By 7.4 days, you're going to be a maximum at about 5.2. By 7.4 days, most of the disease that was in the initial population um, can infect another uh, host. But by 12 days, you don't see any more of that transfer. So it's a pretty short window. <clears throat> so let's take a look now. Let's summarize what I'm calling the NCIP estimated epidemiology as of the end of January, some two, three days ago now. The estimated RO of approximate, that's a reproductive rate of about 2.2, means that on the average, each patient has been spreading infection to about 2.2 other people. And an epidemic will increase as long as the RO is greater than one. So it's definitely a doubling, okay? Now remember, the SARS was at eight, right? So we're way below where SARS Almost half of the initial index 425 cases 425 were adults 60 years of age or older, as we've been saying. Although delays between the onset of the illness and seeking medical attention were generally short, it was about 27 to 30% of the patients sought attention within two days after onset. So it wasn't a great delay. Sometimes you hear that in the popular press. It doesn't look like that's what this data supports. The initial focus of case detection was on patients with pneumonia, of course, but they now understand that some patients can present with GI symptoms and an asymptomatic infection in a child has also been reported with a detected with PCR. They found that most cases of NCIP 
are doubling in a size of approximately, as I said, 7.4 days, at least in Wuhan at this stage of discovery. Human to human transmission among close contacts has occurred since the middle of December and spread out gradually within a month after that. So they're suggesting the Chinese medical community and now the worldwide uh, medical community is suggesting that there's that we have urgent next steps and that the first thing is to identify the most effective control measures to reduce the transmission of the coronavirus in the community. So you have about 840 new cases of pneumonia caused by the new coronavirus infection just added at the last week of uh, January. There were 25 new deaths in the province, including 19 in Wuhan and two in uh, one city and one in one other city. As of uh, uh, midnight on January 28th, okay, so that's some five days ago, Hubei province has cumulatively reported 3,500 cases of pneumonia caused by the new infection. Okay, so you're going to see how that number is going to jump when I get to the uh, ProMed uh, mail data. 80 cases were cured and 125, so 80 cases were cured and 125 died of that number. At present, that was at the end of this paper, some 3,400 patients were still being treated in the hospital. 670 of those were critically ill, um, and 28 were critically ill, although they were receiving isolation treatment and seemed to be getting better. There was a total of 22,095 close contacts from that index group, and 20,360 people were still under medical observation as of the end of January, again, some four or five days ago. <clears throat> now, here's from ProMed Mail. So you get ProMed Mail, which comes directly from our CDC. <clears throat> this came out on the 2nd of February at 9 p.m. That's last night. According to California's San Benito County's Public Health Department, from California, San Benito, there are two confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the country. Excuse me, in that county. According to the public health officials, the confirmed cases were husband and wife. Those are the two cases in California. They're both 57 years old. The husband apparently recently traveled to Wuhan, China. We know that's the center of origin of the spread of this disease. The wife picked, him up, picked the virus from her husband. So you did have husband-to-wife transmission. The new patients bring the total number of confirmed cases as of 9 p.m. Pacific last night uh, at 11 in the United States. So now I'm looking at actual data. In the Hubei mainland China, as of last night, there were 11,177 confirmed cases, and of those 340 deaths. That comprises about 3.13% death rate, much lower than MERS or SARS, much lower. Remember, which was about 50%. Of course, there was much limited cases there. But this does not seem to be as virulent an infection causing severe morbid morbidity or mortality than the other previous coronavirus epidemics that have happened in the 21st century. So again, as of last night from Hubei, which is the center of origin of the disease, the highest inoculum, no doubt, 11,177 confirmed people with disease, but only 350 deaths. It's still a tragedy that 350 people died from it, but it's only 3.13%. I'm looking at all the other data from China, looking at uh, different counties in China and different regions and different cities, 
I'm looking at the distribution of a lot of different numbers, all within the hundreds range, and hardly none of them have recorded deaths. There's only a few other deaths in all the other confirmed cases in China. Thailand, you've got 19 confirmed, no deaths. Now we're leaving China. Singapore, 18 confirmed, no deaths. And so now once you leave China, the numbers really drop off. South Korea, which uh, we still do a lot of traveling, that's just between South Korea, 15 confirmed, no deaths. Uh, Germany, 10 confirmed, no deaths. France, six confirmed, no deaths. United Arab Emirates, five confirmed, no deaths. Philippines, two confirmed, one death. So there's one thing we need to be watching there. Chicago, Illinois, you got two confirmed, of course, no deaths. San Benito, I just told you, in California, two confirmed, zero deaths. Santa Clara, California, two confirmed, no deaths. And then again, leaving the United States, Cambodia, one confirmed, no deaths. British Columbia and Canada, one confirmed, no death. Now I'm looking at back at the United States a little bit. Boston, one disease, uh, one confirmed disease. Los Angeles, one. Orange County, California, one. Seattle, one. Tempe, Arizona, one. None of those result in deaths. So we're at the stage now of this disease where we're moving on from looking at the epidemiology and what I want to do in my next episode of Authentic Biochemistry is go back and discuss the mechanisms by which this disease functions and, more importantly, what might be a, a potential target for uh, coming up with um, drugs or with therapeutics which can control the coronavirus. Now, very interestingly, I was able to find, and this happened, uh, oh, just... I guess, um, about four days ago, I was looking at um, various kinds of genes that are found in the coronavirus. Remember, you have the M protein, which is the membrane protein. And I wanted to look at, well, what happens to the M protein in other viral systems? And there is a <clears throat> infectious bronchitis virus M protein. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the paper published in JCB, Journal of Cell Biology, way back in 1997, next time. It was JCB, 1997, published December 15th, volume 139, pages 1411 to 1418. And the title of the paper is Ceramide Accumulation Uncovers a Cycling Pathway for Cis-Golgi Network Marker, Infectious Bronchitis Virus and Protein. And what basically you're going to determine here. <clears throat> is that ceramide levels, the sphingolipid ceramide, seem to regulate the amount of movement of the membrane protein through that ER Golgi complex, which is how the virioid is transmitted in the coronavirus, okay? Via glycosylation of that coronavirus, via that ER Golgi pathway. Now, what this paper is going to tell us <clears throat> is that ceramide, the level of ceramide, that sphingolipid ceramide, which I've talked a lot about recently in the autoimmune um, authentic biochemistry and varif meta lectures, which is normally considered to cause or to be associated with programmed cell death, apoptosis. It looks like a ceramide accumulates the level of cycling and movement of that virus and protein from the bronchitis um, disease is diminished, which means that ceramide increases in ceramide, and you can get an increase in ceramide 
by inhibiting its metabolism either via um, the salvage pathway, de novo synthesis, or via the sphingomyelinase pathway. Remember, the three pathways that make ceramide. So those could be three potential targets, in my estimation, to look at how you might be able to control coronavirus by increasing the level of ceramide in virus-infected cells and tissues. So that's just an idea I've had by looking at this old JCP, JCB paper. So I'm going to go into that in some detail, tell you why I think this data is um, satisfyingly promotive of a concept that going into lipid metabolism may be an interesting route to control not just this virus, <clears throat> but maybe viruses in general, by inhibiting the uh, complete maturation of the virus particle when indeed it is cytosolically replicated from, say, a positive sense strand RNA like our coronaviruses and moving through the ER Golgi apparatus of the plasma membrane. And that would be inhibiting uh, the, its transport by following the M protein, the membrane protein. And it looks like if it increases in ceramide uh, as opposed to galactosyl sphingolipids or sphingomyelin may actually enhance the drop in movement of the M protein and therefore decrease the amount of, in this case, bronchitis virus M and bronchitis associated virus transmission. If this can also be replicated in a coronavirus cell uh, uh, cell-free system, and or and then in a cell system, it might be the way to go to be able to determine whether that ceramide can work. Uh, first of all, you have to determine whether that sphingolipid metabolism is regulated in cells that are infected with the coronavirus, and then you have to determine whether or not there's any direct interaction with ceramide. That's why I said cell-free, and then ultimately putting the whole thing back together, determining if ceramide in the membrane in the ER Golgi apparatus, um, high levels of it will inhibit the final maturation process through the ER Golgi of the uh, virus particle, the transmitted virus particle, and therefore work as a therapeutic, a potentially positive therapeutic to uh, knock off the coronavirus transmission. That's just an idea I've had by looking at the data. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to sign off for now. And the next time we meet, I may go back into autoinflammatory diseases because we're not done with that arc of discussion. But remember that this virus actually has many components that could be associated down the road to induce an autoimmune response. If there are um, epitopes associated with this virus, they're either generated in the host or that are remnants of the virus or that are actual products of viral protein synthesis that hang around and generate T resonant memory cells that end up making it into various uh, tissue beds in the body that could indeed later down the, down the road induce an autoinflammatory response. And we're going to get into that a little bit, how viruses can be associated with previous virus infections. Anyway, for right now, this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 3rd of February, 2020, saying uh, bye for now.